What is up? I am Miguel Antonio, and you are listening to the Live and Create podcast. It's where I interview artists and entrepreneurs about what it means to live a great life and create great things. And before we jump into the episode, I want to encourage you to go check out my band, Run With It. You can follow us at Run With It Band anywhere you follow people at. You can also check us out at runwithitband.net. That's runwithitband.net. On today's episode, we have author Esme Symes-Smith. After cutting their teeth on a steady diet of fan fiction in the southwest of England, Esme wandered north to Wales for their degree in literature and creative writing, and then promptly migrated to Missouri after meeting their wife on Tumblr. Esme has been a ghostwriter, an editor, a frozen yogurt seller, a caffeine dealer, and now wrinkles preschoolers for a living. And on today's episode, Esme shares their journey of embracing their pronouns and how that led to living with greater confidence. They also shared how that confidence led to finishing out their novel that is to be released later in 2022. We go on to discuss the writing process, the reality of being a working author, and their story of moving from the UK to the Midwest United States. It's a great episode. Enjoy. The Live and Create Podcast. asking so i'm like i'm super cis straight dude like even though i'm puerto rican i live the like white guy life just because that's how i present <laughs> um i i'm curious like if you don't mind sharing a little bit like your journey of embracing they them uh as your actual pronouns and was that something early on you knew and understood or is that something more of a recent thing it's really interesting and this really ties into my book as well because um it was you know, I, I feel like in pandemic, everyone had a hot second to just kind of reflect upon themselves with <laughs> having to spend time with, you know, themselves and only themselves. Um, so within the process of writing what will be my my debut, I was kind of, I've always been very queer and just kind of getting away from all the heteronormative stuff that I grew up with living with my wife. You know, it's been really cool to just kind of learn that we can do what we need to do on our own. I'm sorry, my voice is going. It started going, okay. yes, I was like, oh, of course, today. So if it it's goes, good. I apologize. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I was writing Callie's story and it was originally going to be very much like a girl night book. But then as I was writing, I was just like, this doesn't quite feel right. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, what if Callie is not a girl? And then I had a huge identity crisis because I was like, well, I'm writing from my soul, but what if I'm overstepping and oh my God. So I had to just put it away for a week and just go, ugh. <laughs> you know you do? Sometimes that like, helps too, just to step away. <laughs> it really does. Because um, I was just like, oh gosh, what if I am just identifying with this because it's what I want to write about. So I talked to a lot of people and I just really sat with it for a long time because I didn't want to like claim this identity that wasn't mine. And then I was like, oh, shit, gosh, now we have to deal with this because I'm not a girl. And I, I know I've never been a girl in the standard kind of sense, but like I've always been comfortable in my own body. So I was just like, oh, you know, I can't be non-binary or genderqueer if, if I don't have dysphoria. But that's not true. One, you don't need dysphoria to be trans or genderqueer. And two, like my my dysphoria is definitely like, in my head rather than like within my body so that was just kind of something I sat with and pondered on and talked to about and I was just like okay well you know nothing is gonna change with me I'm just finding the right words for myself and realizing that they them was an option that it fit like a pair of shoes Mm -hmm. after being like squashed into like 
a pair of shoes that had been really comfortable for a long time, but they really don't fit and they're kind of crushing my toes. So I guess I should go shoe shopping again. <laughs> um, and they then was the shoes that I picked and they fit me really well. And it's interesting. I have heard uh, several others describe it very similarly in that regard of uh, like that concept of like shoes you didn't know that were out there. Then you suddenly put them on and oh, this this is it. You know. Yes, and, exactly. Yeah. And when you say it's more, when you say it's more in your head, uh, the dysphoria piece is it more about like how you view the world versus like the the typical like the cultural norms. Like I'm, how you're it's viewing more how it? I feel that people view me. Okay. And when I um when I became or like I came out as non-binary, I felt like I could be more myself. Like even if I didn't change what I wore or like wearing makeup or whatever, I felt like I was standing tall for the first time, hmm. you know, and that I was happy for people to see me and perceive me. And just in the way that I was able to interact with people in a more confident way was really empowering, honestly. Um, one of the examples that I really remember is I used to work at Starbucks and we had this awful guy that would come in and he we called him the bug guy because he would come in before open and he'd like spray for bugs, but he was awful. And he was very misogynistic and very creepy. And he was like, her, not his part, because he wasn't like, harassing people but he was bothering people mm. and you could tell the people that he was bothering and then one day he was like looking at the list of all of our phone numbers and our schedules oh, and wow. usually you know because I'm I'm five foot one usually I have a squeaky voice but right now I sound pretty good I'm getting a lot of euphoria with my voice right now uh, <laughs> even though it hurt um yeah so usually I'm not very aggressive or like put myself out there, but I'm just like, you know what, we're done with this. So I confronted him and I was just like, you can't, you can't do this. Um, but it was because I felt empowered in myself and confident that even though he saw me as like a little girl, I wasn't. Hmm. And, you know, I, th I think that's the big thing that society needs to deal with, with the way that they view women and the way that women hold themselves you know I don't think it's necessary to be like that but it was definitely something I had to experience and it was a relief to get away from that yeah so in a sense uh, <coughs> it sounds like maybe it freed you to not have to what's the word to not I have to like succumb to yourself. everyone else's expectations Is that exactly exactly okay, gotcha. and like that's always something that I've you know been very comfortable doing um you know, when I moved to America from the UK and when I realized that I was queer, you know, it was very much like subverting my own expectations of myself and like my families and my friends, because, you know, when I was 16, I was very cishet. I wanted to marry my high school boyfriend and have babies real fast. And, you know, I had all this, it all planned out. Climbing so the ladder, like, right, right through all the normal exactly. Things, right? Like I, I could see it. It was like a very straightforward line, literally. Um, but then when like I realized that I was more than that, and that my life could be more than that, it just kind of like went through the ceiling, and it was really cool. There's a there's a guy I was been talking to my wife about recently. Uh, his his Instagram handle is World's Strongest Gay, and he's a gay he's a gay man that that uh competes in the strongman competitions and fabulous uh, I love it. and it, it was interesting hearing his story because he was doing that 
that life where he's like, I was, I was engaged to somebody else and mm-hmm. was like in his mid twenties until finally he, he came to this realization, this acceptance of who he really was. But it, it was interesting just from my perspective to hear someone like he had basically, because of the way culture outside of him presented or wanted things for him, he was, had resigned himself essentially to almost live a lie. Yeah. Um, and, and almost, it sounded like he even tried to convince himself that the lie was true. Exactly, because it's more comfortable to live in a space that you've always occupied. But it's, it, and it cracks me up because a lot of people will be like, oh, well, you're just doing it for attention. I'm like, I, my mother tried to throw that on me recently and that was super fun. But it's just like, I it's bet. not fun to, you know, um, push your identity out there for people to see you. You know, that's not fun. I have to come out every single time I decide to say, hey, actually, my pronouns are they, them. Mm. And like most of the time, honestly, I just don't want to because it's tiring and it's stressful. And I'm always just like, oh, gosh, what if they want to argue with me? Or what if they want to have a conversation? And I'm like, I'm at work doing with babies. And I like, <laughs> You're I like, just, just want to get my shit done and I'm going to go home. Like, I, just, <laughs> I don't want to have a deep, like I love having deep and meaningful conversations about gender. Like that's totally my jam. But like there's a time and a place for that. Like, I just want you to call me by my words and that's it. Not complicated, but like, Hmm. you know, for a a lot of people in my space, it's like, this is the first, I'm the first like genderqueer person they've ever met. And it's just like, I don't have the capacity to be educational. Right. Um, Yeah. But like, it's, it is hard to claim an identity that's not the norm, especially if it you come to it later in life, which I feel mm. like a lot of our generation do. You know, I think kids are really lucky that they are aware of all the options open to them now. You know, I think right. that's really neat. But for a lot of people our age, I don't know how old you are, but <laughs> you know, I think we're, um, you know, they do come to it in like their late twenties or whenever. You know, I know a lot of yeah. people much much older that have come to that, and then they have to effectively change their whole life, and it's a huge risk because what if the people who you know love you the most who you care about the most suddenly be like okay well peace out <laughs> yeah. you know that's terrifying just be, because you are stepping into who you actually are and they right, exactly to, to walk away and i, and I, always I can only imagine like, how painful that is yeah you you always feel like well i do personally that i'm just taking up more space than i was allotted by mm. saying this is who i am and like you know i know that's not the case and the advice i would give anyone else would be like you know, you don't need to feel like that. But at the end of the day, it's easier said than done. You know, it is, it is scary. It's very scary. Well, it's interesting to hear you talking about, you know, maybe you're at work and you're like, I just want people just to accept it, stay them and, (laughs) and let's move on. I I got other things I need to do. And it's, it's, it's interesting because uh, I have other friends, uh, another friend of mine, uh, his name is V-Tran and he is a Vietnamese man. And he was sharing with, with me, uh, he's on, I, I forget which episode he's one of the podcasts and he was just sharing how he's tired of being the Asian friend, exp- explaining everything to everybody. Um, hey, then a, a good friend of mine at the gym, we see each other all the time and he's a black man. And I remember um, it was probably earlier this year, him just like kind of shaking his head. He's like, I- I'm just done. I'm done being the guy who explains everything. And, it's, and that's especially what I, in the wake of BLM, like everyone being a little like wanting to be more you know in the know than they were before like we're definitely putting that pressure on the black community which is not right at all because you know just let people live how they live and exist how they exist like stop 
asking for education that you think right. will improve them when really it's about you, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it kind of connects with, I think you, you and I were connected through uh, Kay Ankrum. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's and right. Uh, during her interview, that was interesting to me too, because again, I'm, I've coming from, so my background is I was like, like headstrong. I used to be a pastor at a mega church, like all sorts of stuff. And my transition was suddenly realizing I'm an atheist <laughs> and, and walking well, out of that <laughs> and, and, and leaving this, this whole thing. That's kind of bad for business um, in the church world. But, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I have been on this, this crazy education of just learning. Really, it felt like waking up and seeing that there's this whole other world uh, that I didn't yeah. know existed or, and or thought was evil or wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm always in this idea of like, I want to be educated, want to learn, want to know. Uh, luckily, the podcast gives me a good spot where people are kind of in that <laughs> ah, place. <right> like, <laughs> but, <clears throat> but it was interesting because I see everything through that lens. You know, mm-hmm. I asked her about her book and I was like, is it, is it written for the perspective of, of trying to help educate people who don't know? And, and her response to me was, she's like, not, not really. She's like, I hope someone gets something out of that. But she's like, I'm, I'm writing for the person who sees themselves in it and that exactly. they can know they're not alone. And, and that really, that hit me uh, uh, to yeah. see, it's like, okay, people aren't here just for my own education as well. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, and I think that's been a real like boom with Kidlet um, lately. And I, I, I think queer children's literature and honestly any children's literature from a marginalized point of view is just it's such a good tool and like I definitely write for myself and for the people who I want to see themselves in the main character but also like I do hope that you know non-queer people will read it and kind of understand just a little better my perspective and perspective people like me and actually I read Anna on the Edge by um, AJ Sass and it was just it was amazing for me because that was the first time I'd read a book about a non-binary person but I also sent it to my grandmother and she devoured it she freaking loved it and it was educational for her as you know a cishet person to right. understand the point of view um, of a non-binary person a little bit more and she could understand me a little bit more, which is amazing. Um, you know, I think Kidlet especially is makes those experiences more accessible to everyone. Right. Well, it seems like there's a language now uh, for younger generations. I have, I have uh, four boys, the oldest is 17 all the way down to eight, you know, and it's like the things, the conversations we have, uh, like, about different words and concepts, especially even regarding sexuality were things that I wasn't even presented until maybe like late twenties. And Mm -hmm. so it it gives me hope that no matter where they land, wherever they, they see themselves and grow, that it won't be that same, that same painful environment. I hope at least within our, our home. Uh, But luckily I think with, within our friends group of, of even people who don't understand who are still willing to listen. And, and that's the thing, it's just like, mis- like as far as pronouns go, like mistakes don't matter. It's the the way that those mistakes are dealt with. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I don't care if someone misgenders me, but it's really nice when they just like, <coughs> sorry, <laughs> this is going to be great. Um, when they just like casually like, oh, sorry, they don't, you know, without one making a big deal or two right. just ignoring it completely. Because like those <laughs> are usually the two routes that they go. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like I'm open to people learning. I want people to learn and 
do better and create a world that is more comfortable for the future generations. Um, and like, and that's the thing, it's just like we make the little spaces safe, we make homes safe, we make schools yes. safe, and then slowly, slowly we eke out and how can the world be safe? That would be really nice. That would be um, nice, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be really nice. You know, I, I work with one to one and a half year olds, but like my my classroom is very, you know, it's very educational for people to come into, like parents and you know, observers just to like see what I'm doing with the kids. And like mm. I have a lot of like queer books, a lot of like picture books and board books as well. Like there's so many queer board books that can be used just to say, hey, this is normal. This is the world that we live in now for the little ones, which is really amazing. Right. That's awesome. Well, so during this writing process, right, you set the the book down for a week. Uh, just to kind of wrestle, you have these conversations. Now you're continuing to embrace more and more who you are. What did it look like for you then under under some of the, more of this knowledge of yourself? What did it look like to pick that book up and and push through and, and, and finish it? It was really fun. Um, I, I started it again because that's my process. Um, so I just came to it from the beginning. So it stopped being about a girl who didn't want to be a girl. And I found that a lot of the things that I was tackling in those drafts were, you know, um, a lot of toxic masculinity, honestly, and a lot of toxic views on femininity. I didn't want it to be a critique of women or girls or femininity. I wanted it to be about a kid who is claiming their own space rather than like critiquing other people's spaces. And honestly, that was really hard. It's really hard to write a book about someone who rejects their gender they're born with without critiquing that gender as a whole. Um, mm. So it was it was really helpful for me for that process um, because I realized I had a lot of, you know, preconceptions and like toxic views about women and girls that I'd grown up with that right. I just kind of accepted. So it was really cool to tackle those things. Um, I, I think the, the shape of the book stayed pretty similar until we sold it. Um, I was pleased with it, but like the the themes and like the meat of it just got fuller. And I realized the story that I was telling, like it wasn't about a girl who wanted to be a knight. It was about a kid who's claiming their space and also empowering kids who have never had those options. We don't have the positive sort of representation that the main character has. So they're like teaching them what the world can be sort of like the issues and the good stuff that comes with it. Hmm. That's a, a beautiful concept, I think. Uh, the idea of, of, of looking about what does it mean to carve out your own space instead of tearing it down. I feel like it's so easy to tear apart things as opposed to build the new thing. And uh, it really it, it's, and it's like a totally, oh, go ahead. Um, I was gonna say like, it, it really is. And just like within my own experience, like when I first realized I was non-binary, I was very much like, oh, I don't want to wear dresses and I don't want to wear makeup. And I wish <laughs> I didn't have breasts and all that stuff. And like, now I'm just like, you know what? I can wear dresses, I can wear makeup. It doesn't change about who I am. I'm just me. And whether I'm wearing a shirt and a tie, whether I'm wearing a cute dress and red lipstick, like I am just myself. <laughs> and that was really helpful for me, honestly. It made me a lot more comfortable. And like, I don't know if this is a good thing, but it made me more comfortable being misgendered as well. Because it's just like, I understand what you see from me. You know, I get that. Right. I'm not well, and I, I think it, it does make sense 
that that journey would then give you more uh, comfortability even with the misgendered. Um, and I think of it in the context of like, I I feel the on my own journey, I feel pretty confident in where I go and, and who I am. And I, I feel like the more I do that, when people misrepresent me, it's less offensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too. So it's like, Hey, if we just talk, you'll, you'll figure out. And it's like, Oh, okay. It's like, exactly, yeah, not as, exactly. but before I used to have to like fight tooth and nail. <laughs> yeah. And I'm I, trying I to prove. The, and in the beginning, like I definitely felt more aggressive about it and more unhappy when it happened. But now it's just like, it's still, don't get me wrong. It still sucks, but it's more that, like, yeah. I wish society was at a place where we didn't just assume but, you know, we're doing the work together and it's going to be a long journey and that's okay. Right. When do you imagine, like, I'm, this is just more the whole utopian idea, but do you ever imagine a day like post-gender, post-race, post, you know, all these divisive things? Or am I just dreaming of a utopia that, <laughs> that can't exist where, where we've moved past all these things because people simply accept each other? We're going to get to a place where gender and sexuality are accepted before race is accepted. And I think that's really sad. But um, that's true. I, I mean, yeah, you can see that even how even recent history. Um, yeah, no, I, I think all these issues are not equal. And, you know, I, I think ah, it's hard. It's hard because, like, I, I think we've made a lot of forward progress, but we've also made a lot of backwards pro progress in recent years. You know, with with BLM, it's just heartbreaking that that's what we need, because you know, I, I it's not my place to talk about racism, but it feels like we haven't made much progress since like the fifties. Mm -hmm. um, and as far as trans rights go, like you can just, oh, you can just <laughs> look at the absolute fucking mess that J.K. Rowling is making right now, and it it makes me really sad. Um, so seeing, you know, seeing the desire for much more progress, despite <sighs> any inroads that have that have come in there. So it's hard because, like, it's especially when it's your idols, especially when it's people who have access to children. You know, it's it's really genuinely scary to see all these voices speaking out against people like me, pe people like their readers. You know, it's very very sad. Yeah. Yeah. Understandable understandable so on on um when when we're thinking about the process of writing you know and as you brought this to fruition do you i, I guess i'm curious what your day-to-day -day process looks like as an author um well i have a day job <laughs> um i will probably always have a day job um i definitely the the best thing i did for myself was say writing is my career and my day job is my day job mm -hmm. and i work four days a week rather than five which is a really big deal for me um, so I'm kind of just prioritizing my career rather than my day job. I, I leave the kids at school. Um, so that was a really big thing is, you know, I, th I think it's mostly internal and just giving myself permission to take it seriously, even well before I got like my book deal or my agent or whatever. You know, I, I've always given myself permission to take it seriously. And I think that's the, the best thing that you can do as a new writer or a writer trying to make it. <laughs> um, right. Because, and honestly, like, I feel like if you take yourself seriously, other people are more likely to. Um, I think it's really easy for folks who aren't writers or aren't creative to really misunderstand 
what that life is like it's really hard work you know like, and you, you think it. i just fuck off and, and and like go in the back room do a few paragraphs and then <laughs> i know seriously yeah. and like it's it's a lot of it's a lot of work it's really hard you face rejection at every point nothing is certain especially in publishing like my god there is no other industry in the world that's, that's absolutely ridiculous as publishing <laughs> but you just have to enjoy the the hardships and the nonsense and just keep going you know you, right. you see the goal you're just like oh I gotta go and the only thing <laughs> keeping me um on course with Callie because I, I wrote it whilst I was on submission with my first book which did not sell was like oh I want to do an unboxing but you know what I'm not going to be able to do an unboxing until I finish the damn thing <laughs> so I might as well just finish it because um yeah it, it's really hard to keep motivation up when you just have no guarantee of any kind of success yeah that's it's wild um, but day to day I just like I I do what I can when I can I take my laptop to work and I write during nap times sometimes if I can um my my NaNoWriMo is honestly the best thing in my life what is <laughs> but it's, it's just like I, one NaNoWriMo national novel national novel writing month oh okay oh, yeah. gotcha. I, I'm not familiar you. with that oh. <laughs> I was it's like I don't even recognize what what this is what is it what yeah, is it? It's, it's a staple of the writing community honestly and um it basically it's November every year and 30 days 50k so the premise is you write a novel within a month Oh, wow. um, so that's kind of I've been doing that since 2013 and it's how I do all my drafting because I hate drafting with a fiery passion of 100 songs. Damn, I love that tenacity. <laughs> I love it's, it. it's just kind of like and I feel like you know if it's wasted time it's only a month you know and it's going to be a hot mess of a draft and that's okay because you're literally <laughs> just creating the raw material the raw material that you're going to use to like craft this story. Right. Which is really neat because like some people will agonize over their first drafts for years and years and years but like at the end of the day you still come out with something that's going to need a lot of fixing um so that really taught me my discipline um and, and like honestly once you've finished a novel once it is proof that you can do it the yeah, first novel yeah. is the hardest to finish you just gotta get to the end <laughs> gotta let the baby be born and, and push it out into the world literally <laughs> and it's messy and it's painful and it's disgusting but you know what it's worth it and the baby it. might turn out ugly too but you gotta exactly. get exactly <laughs> She'll grow into her ears and it'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I, there's a, in songwriting, uh, I've, I've done seasons, a similar process where there was about two or three months where I had pushed myself to do two songs a day, two mm -hmm. new songs. And it's same kind of concept though. It was, we're talking skeletons, you know, yeah. it's like, and, and kick him out. And I learned so much, but I also, then I got to the end of that and I needed to take a break as yeah. well. It just, the burnout just, is real. Like, yeah. <laughs> whatever, whatever you're doing, the burnout is real. But it did it. It showed me where there's a lot of, like you said, that obsession over like the the first draft, mm -hmm. where I obsess over like a note or a word, and and it's like really most of those things don't pan out to anything anyway. It's the it's exactly. finding like, that, that I know best that I'm idea. Scrap like ninety percent of my paragraphs, mm -hmm. and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I my listeners are probably annoyed at how many times I bring up this book. But are you familiar with the book, The War of Art? But Stephen Pressfield. No, I haven't heard of that. Um, and he he talks about uh, his process, and he wrote. I think he wrote. Uh, is is it Legends of Bagger Vance? Is that no? That's Neil. Is that Gaiman? I don't think um, it's Gaiman because I 
Okay, that's Pressfield then. Okay. So ba basically, he goes through his process in in this book, The War of Art, and he talks about the idea of essentially even what you started with, like this idea of like what is a professional? Is a professional professional decides he's a professional and goes out there and and does this every single day. And I love hearing how you take your laptop and writing during the naps, you know, where he, he, his concept is like three to four hours a day of writing of just straight, like start to finish writing. And he was like, and because I'm, a, I'm, you know, full time in this, I have the luxury of starting my days like that, like, right. like before I did it. And so you had to carve out time here and there and anywhere you could to get that time in. And I, that, I remember reading, cool. have you read Stephen King's on writing? No, I, it someone is. else just recommended that to me as well. It's so insane. Like, Stephen King's not my favorite author, but like that book is my Bible. And it was just like I I asked for it for Christmas the first year I did NaNoWriMo and I won. And I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to take myself seriously now. And my wife got it for me for Christmas. And it was just like just, you know, seeing the process of like this amazing author starting off exactly where I am. You know, I'm just mm -hmm. like, oh, it's possible. Oh my God. This is like, <laughs> he didn't get born. Stephen King with like 10 right. shelves of books in Barnes and Noble <laughs> you know he was writing in the bathroom as a janitor you know yep. you just do what you can do and hope for the best <laughs> <laughs> well uh, I remember I remember uh, just... writing oh go ahead I cut you off no, you're good, you're good, good. that's a whole fun part of zoom <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I, I forgot what I was gonna say go on Oh, I just remember, you know, singing songs into my phone while I'm like dumping a trailer while I worked landscaping, you know, those, yeah. those kind of things. And you, you have to find ways, you know, and anyone who's out there listening right now, who's just starting, is like, yeah, you have to find ways. I remember sitting down with an artist who wanted to write and, and perform and, but they, you know, could barely make ends meet. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know, I didn't have I think the sympathy that they wanted, like there was understanding because it's like I walked that life, but it was, I was basically like, yeah, you, you just, you just gotta, gotta freaking do it. Do it. <laughs> it's like, get up at five, get up. I mean, there's, you know, like get you, up at. <laughs> if you want to do it, you have to do it. You know, there's, right. there's no point just going to like agonizing like, oh, I haven't, like no one has time. I don't have time. But like, in, even not when I have the luxury of a two and a half hour in the middle of the day to do some work during nap time like at my Starbucks job at my frozen yogurt job I would carry notebooks in my pocket I have I was like covered in post-it notes because I just be like <laughs> you know chopping stories oh god I know how this book's gonna end I have to write it down right now like and I, I remember going on the hikes with my wife and like carrying this little tiny notebook and like trying to scribble as we're hiking just like oh I have a really good idea right now oh my god I have to and it's like, it's the same as like, you know, shower thoughts. Shower thoughts are the best thoughts. Right. But you just have to jump out the shower completely wet naked and go and write that <laughs> sentence before you forget it because you will. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah, there's so I, many. I remember, my, sorry, I remember my childhood bedroom, like when I first started taking myself seriously as a writer when I was doing fan fiction. Like even when I was 12, like I would wake up in the middle of the night, just like scribble on post-it notes and like slap it to the wall and go back to sleep. That's amazing, though. Uh, I I love it. I love it. And it, it's funny how like songwriting is a very similar process. There's times I've woken up and recorded something on like my acoustic on my phone, and then you go back to sleep because I know it it's gone. It, it's it'll gone. be gone if I even go into the next room. Sometimes, like there I is. walk through the doorway, I'm like, where where the hell did that go? I don't even know. It There's was probably the number one hit. Like, 
in that like state of like half sleep when your imagination is just like at its peak and you're just like oh man this is so good I've got this whole scene planned out or like the actual like speech that they're all saying and you're just like oh I'll remember and then you wake up the next morning it's like oh that was nonsense (laughs) (laughs) it's so painful and you can just you can just like remember the the vibes and the feelings but not the actual words it's like oh okay right yeah it's like it's in there it's in there somewhere that's cool though. I mean, I think that shows a great picture of the real life of, of artists as they're, and I, there's a, I forget what the name of the podcast is. It talks about the middle-class musician. Uh, there's just a bulk of musicians who have found a way to make a living and, or supplement their living through their art. And, yeah. but it, it's getting creative and finding yeah. ways uh, to continue to build. Like my wife and I, uh, we do a commercial cleaning company uh, together uh-huh. And so it allows us to work together uh, when we can. And especially now that 2022, we'll see more touring and that kind of thing. Uh, uh-huh. So anytime we get to spend time together is nice <laughs> uh, yeah. due to lack of it. Um, but then using that to create space to actually create and release. Exactly. And, and yeah. Stuff I, out there, so. I think it's such a myth to say that, you know, creatives are just creative 24 seven. Cause like one, that's not true because money and the economy and two, just like, I, <laughs> I remember when um when I was between countries because I'm from England and I moved here to be with my wife like the whole green card process was super fun um but we were like uh, switching back and forth between countries for a couple of years so like I couldn't get a steady job so I did a lot of ghostwriting and just like trying to be creative in so many different directions was just not fun <laughs> like I yeah. and I realized that I would much rather have just like a really boring day job that doesn't take anything out of me when I'm at home that gives me the mental capacity to be able to create later is so much more rewarding than you know writing stories for somebody else and writing stories for myself and then hustling and then just like you know you have to work out what is best for you and that Mm -hmm. is really what is best for somebody else you know and (laughs) so true and I think yeah and I think a lot of writers look to other people's habits to work out what they should do um and you can try those processes and you know work out you know you can pick and choose from all of these creatives to kind of work out what your routine is going to be and what your life is going to look like but at the end of the, it's the same as voice honestly because like when you're learning how to find your own author voice you you know you nitpick from the voices that speak to you right. you know I remember copying like styles from all of my favorite books you know and that's how I patchworked mine together but it's the same with the creative process you know yours is just a mismatch of what works from other people's but it's not going to be like the entire actual thing (laughs) when I find for me process and even voice uh changes over time to the seasons I think of it in seasons where um I've had some seasons where you know like I'd get up really early and write in the morning where like now I, for some reason I can't do I get up I can get up early and like work out and go to the gym or do something like that but I can't like sit down and write I just fall right back to sleep it's oh it's such right. a exactly. an interesting thing how things change and shift and morph <clears throat> yeah and I feel like a really good example of this is I was working at Starbucks I worked there for like two years and I started off I chose to do morning so I would get up at I go to work at 4 45 <laughs> And I would, I would get off at 1 p.m. I was like, oh, you know, this is great. I have the whole rest of the day. And I'd stay there and I'd write. And then I got tired. I was like, please, can I go to evenings? So then I would start <laughs> at 1. So I would get up early, go to Starbucks, and write before my shift. 
and that worked then. Now I have a very reasonable working hours <laughs> at the preschool. So I can't really write before or after, but the days that I'm off, I'm much more productive. And I've realized that I'm an afternoon person. So, nice. you know, and honestly, like if I try and do the same routine twice in two days, the first time it'll work. The second time I'll burn out. So I need to just <laughs> realize that my process is just accepting whatever my process is going to be day to day, which is, That's you know, awesome. it's frustrating when I'm trying to plan my life. But I also just have to accept that that's just part of myself. Right. Well, and back to that whole thing where we started, just embracing yourself, embracing mm-hmm. who you are. And, and disco- I think part of it is just discovering yourself too. And exactly. I've seen yeah. so many people uh, grow and even myself just grow into things that I, into, into ideologies and into concepts and mm-hmm. really into friendships and in all things that I just never even imagined even 10 years ago. And right. so, and hopefully the next change. 10 years does that again, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it's funny how all of these things tie together so neatly. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm curious too. Um, so you, uh, you were in London, is that correct? Or Wales? Oh, I hate London. I was, I, oh, you I, hate I London. Okay. Um, Devon in the UK. So it's like Southwest on the 20th bit down South. Gotcha. And that's, I'm, I'm super American. So I don't even know, like, where <laughs> I, it's like, I almost think like London is just in there. It's like, I need to learn. I need to grow. I mean, my like, last, honestly, my last podcast. Like, oh, so you're from London. I'm just like, well, I hate London. So no, but like, I understand that. That's all. <laughs> like, it's fine. And so I'm yet again, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm that ass who. <laughs> it's like calling everyone in America from New York. Right. It's like, yeah. you, you're from New York city. It's like, no, no, no. that's funny. <laughs> Well, I need to work on that and grow, grow in my understanding of Europe. So <laughs> my, my podcast before, uh, uh, last week, uh, this guy named Nigel and he is from the UK and I'm not even going to try to attempt and say that maybe it was London. I can't remember the exact place. <laughs> and, uh, but he moved out here. He lives in Kansas city now oh, uh, and, and yeah, does a beer podcast and, uh, it's a, it's a cool city, but I am curious, like, so how did you end up from, uh, I'll, I'll just say, should I said the UK? So I don't yes, sound like an ass. Uh, so <laughs> the UK and you find yourself in St. Louis, Missouri. Um. Okay. So, okay. I just need to close the door because my dog's going crazy. No worries. She doesn't like that other people exist in the neighborhood, but it's honestly the same. Um, <clears throat> so story time. Um, I was in my second year of university up in Aberystwyth, Wales. Don't try and spell that. You won't be able to. Um <laughs> And I was very much in fandom. I love fandom, love fan fiction. And I just discovered Sherlock, BBC Sherlock, so good. Um, so I, I got deep into that on Tumblr, started writing some fic. And then this cute girl started commenting on my fix, and I started commenting on her fix. And then we started chatting. And then we we're just like, oh, we should date. Even though she was in the US and I was in the UK. Um, so I met my wife through fan fiction. Um, she, I, I invited her to tea because that's what Brits do. We invite everyone to tea. And she was like, <laughs> okay, I'm coming. So she booked a plane ticket to London, um, that January. We, we started chatting in August. I was like, okay, that's scary. Um, so I met her in Victoria, London and she stayed with me for a month and thank God it nice. worked out. <laughs> and yeah, by right, the end that- of it, we were just like, oh, no, we don't, we don't want to be apart anymore. We should get married. Um, so after I graduated in my third year, um, she came back to the UK and we had a civil partnership because that was the time when all like the gay laws were changing, which was super fun. 
Um, and I was just like, okay, peace out, UK. I'm gonna go move to America. Um, so we spent six months with her brother in Austin, Texas. Okay. And then, you know, we, we flew back and forth a little bit, but we ended up settling in St. Louis, which is just down the road from her parents, who are amazing people. I love them so much. Um, now we're here and it's very comfortable. That's awesome. Right. That's yeah. a cool journey. You, you've you been on a crazy journey. Sounds like with the writing, it's going to take on even more. So oh, that's, gosh. that's really exciting. Intimidating. So, <laughs> so the last two questions of the podcast uh, coming out of the name, uh, Live and Create. Uh, the first one being, uh, how would you define living a great life right now? Honestly, I think I'm living my best life and that's really exciting for me. And I'm, I'm living on my own terms um, I'm not kind of, I think the difference in the way I was living when I was in the UK to the way that I live now is I was very much a people pleaser and I was just trying to modify myself to make other people more comfortable. Hmm. And when I stopped doing that, when I started prioritizing my wife and myself, it opened up my head to say, okay, I have permission to live the life that I want. I can be an author, you know, and that's a hard thing to say out loud because, you know, there's no certainty on it. And everyone, like, <laughs> it's funny, before my book deal, you know, I was supported, but, you know, I, I think a lot of people thought I should get like a career instead. Then afterwards, right. everyone's like, oh, well, I always knew you would do this. <laughs> <laughs> Like, well, I did. I don't know if you did, but that's funny. <laughs> um so it's, it's being stubborn I'm an Aries so I'm very stubborn um and I've always known that writing is the only thing I've ever been any good at so I might as well do quite well at it because <laughs> there's not much option otherwise um so don't think don't give any attention to the little voice in your head telling me not to do it you know just be obstinate and stubborn and do it anyway that's awesome I love that. And then for the last question, how would you define creating great things for yourself right now? Create for yourself first before anybody else. You know, if you don't enjoy the process, then there's no point doing it because like there's no, <clears throat> there's no certainty. There's no guarantee. You know, and I, I, I think a lot of people make the mistake of writing to market, writing what they believe agents will want and what will sell. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you're not happy with, what you produce, either you'll, you know, you'll be known as the thing that you didn't want to produce, or like you won't get the agent, you won't get the book deal, and then you've wasted that time on something that you can't even enjoy for yourself. Hmm. You know, and my my thing has always been I write for myself first, and then if anyone else likes it, then you know that's cherry on top of the cake. But I I like reading what I write. You know, it's it's exciting to me to produce something that I enjoy because. You know, I'm my worst critic. My editor is nothing on me. <laughs> she can tell me to rewrite the whole last note of my book, but you know, I'm I'm the cruelest to myself, so I have very high standards for myself. Right. So write for yourself first. That's awesome. Well, thank you uh, for making the time and let everyone know how they can connect with you and buy your books and keep 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 watch for everything else that's going to be coming out. Um, I'm mostly on Twitter at Esme Sime Smith. Um, I also have a website, which is esimesmith.com. My debut novel, Sir Kelly and the Champions of Halston, doesn't debut until next November, maybe. Um, oh, I got you. My bad. <laughs> the Goodreads is in my bio on Twitter. So if you like night books about non-binary characters and dragons and fun things like that, 
um, give it a give it an ad, and I'll love you forever. That's awesome. Well, thanks for making the time. Thank you so much. That was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the Live and Create podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe and leave a comment or a review. The Live and Create podcast.